Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. This is the 19th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, a time that has tested everyone's resilience. Our guest today, Anne Heck, has modeled resilience out of her own attack, a brutal rape at age 26. She's become a fiercely dedicated healer, both to herself and to others. Her new memoir is called A Fierce Belief in Miracles, My Journey from Rape to Healing and Wholeness, published by She Writes Press this month. Welcome to the show, Anne. Great to have you with us. It's great to be here, Diane. Thank you. The spiritual dimension of trauma is often overlooked in favor of psychological and emotional wounds and the physical wounds as well. That's why I think a fierce belief in miracles is so important. You addressed the spiritual search within this healing process. Um, And the arc of the story is that you're coming from a place of science. Um, You're kind of skeptical about all this woo-woo stuff as um, coming out of a medical background, your your household, uh, your father was a doctor. I wondered, um, in your mind's eye, what prepared you for this arc, this journey um, to a place of fierce belief in miracles? Mm, That's a good question. I think several things prepared me. One is I was raised in a way to believe that I could do anything. I think that my parents did a good job of opening me to possibility. Um, And, you know, it was my experience after the trauma that I couldn't use my go-to, which was logic. I needed something else. And I, you know, I eventually had to really devote myself to this quest to find what that something else was. Um, and it led me onto a spiritual path. And I think that, I think I always had, I think all of us have that, um, that feeling inside of us that there is something else beyond our knowing mind. And, um, going that direction to figure out what I most needed um, was really the best thing for me. And, and when I knew that I could, I could create what I wanted, I just held out for that miracle to happen. Hmm. Beautiful. I also think about you as the seven-year-old with the praying mantis in the, in the kitchen with your mother. You, you witnessed the kind of miracle of nature, right? You, you had them in a jar. Um, it, it, suddenly they were everywhere, but you, you saw change and how change happens in nature. It's always miraculous to me how we're still capable of change. Um, you know, we think we're grown up, we're, into our, we're grown into ourselves, and we're capable of enormous change. Um, and I wondered about the effect of nature um, on your view. You were always a cyclist, for example, even before the rape. Um, how did nature play a part in the idea that there might be a spiritual dimension? Oh, I think nature plays a huge part in that. You know, I have always been someone who loves the outdoors and 
pretty much everything we observe is magical if we allow it to be, you know, looking at how a flower blossoms or how plants sprout through the ground or, you know, how these various animals and plants interact with one another. Um, there's, there's so much there that can feed us information about our own lives and help us to navigate um, in a way that we can trust that we're, we're being supported. You know, mm-hmm. the animals and the plants don't worry about don't worry about things. <laughs> it's, it's the humans who get in their head and begin to worry, but we're always provided for. Right. And I think trust in the world, trust in our life, uh, as in now with COVID-19, it's hard to trust in life, which could betray us again. You know, there, there's this idea that we have things under control, which was always an illusion. Um, but in the other, you know, the other part of it is to mend that trust in life and to go back being a carefree or, you know, just thoughtless the way nature, the way animals are in nature. You, I think, went into a particularly interesting path with Rocking Bear and the Native American uh, indigenous tribe wisdom, which is also all about nature and, um, and, and the, the brilliance of what's already around us. Um, you, you could talk a little bit, talk a little bit for us about even the basics. I mean, like the directions and the 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 seven the seven elements. I mean, this this is fascinating to me. I think anyone who wants a primer on how to cope with trauma, including COVID nineteen, should read a fierce belief in miracles. But Take us through a little bit what you learned when you, you moved to Asheville, North Carolina, following the rape, and you, you encountered one step after another, Rocking Bear, a Cherokee Indian. Yes, that, was, um, that happened upon me in a very synchronistic way, and um, I kind of followed the, the breadcrumbs to find him, and, um, and he... Um, he was a Cherokee medicine man. I sat with him weekly for six years. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of our focus was very earth-based and connected me with what was really essential in our lives, which is listening and loving and caring for one another. And, um, it, the teachings that he gave were so simple. If there was something that was complicated in my life and I brought it to him, he could say just a few words and it would just put it all in perspective. Um, And I think that that's available for all of us. If we allow ourselves to let go of our mind that wants to figure it all out and calculate through things and know what the future has in store, if we can let that go and just be in this moment and be present with what is, then there are enormous gifts that can be open to us. Um, And yes, you mentioned, you know, trusting. It's, um, that was really a challenge for me because of how my trauma had occurred, I had, I had trusted my intuition about which direction to go. And 
I felt like it had betrayed me <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because I was hurt. And I came to frame, eventually, years later, I came to frame that in a different way, which I speak to in the book. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's, you know, that it's important for all of us to touch into our essential nature, which is available to us in this present moment. Absolutely. This also happens to be the birthday of a dropping-in alumni, Andre the III, author of House and Sound and Fog and the memoir Townie. And he first taught me and taught us about intuition. Uh, he described that it comes from the Latin word to look over, and intuition is a form of protection for those of us who choose to listen to it. Um, it aligns with a deep unconscious uh, body of impressions that are stored that we're not even aware of. And when those patterns match up, we have a flash of intuition. So it's actually a kind of rational approach if you you know look at it as a resource. I did really uh, have a conflict when you described that in the book. You went, you were doing your most beloved thing, you were bicycling. You went out on a road. You were unsure of which road to take. Your intuition said, go down the gravel road. Then it pulled you back. How did you reconcile your idea of intuition after that and and make sense out of it again? Well, it took me a number of years. Um, and, And also, it took some really clear reflection of people who loved and supported me. Um, I don't know that I could have come to it on my own because I felt like I, as I worked through that, I felt like I needed witnesses to what had happened and to be able to articulate what my experience of it was. Um, but I, when I went to this particular road, which I thought would, you know, I knew it would re- lead me to this bakery according to my map. That was where, I, that was my goal was to get there. Um, and I had this intuition that I needed to turn around. So I did. I turned my bike around. And then moments later, I got this intuitive hit that I just needed to go down that road. And so I went. And it was there that, it was, that I was raped. And Years later, what I realized was that it wasn't the case. I think that we all might struggle with what is our intuitive voice versus the voice of our mind that wants to, exactly, you know, you know, that wants to try to use our logic to work through something. And so that was the part I struggled with because I have been trained as a scientist and I do have a very logical thought process and I doubted whether I was hearing the right voice that day. And for me, what I needed to realize was that sometimes our intuition will give us conflicting messages mm-hmm. um, because I was looking for something that day. And I won't go into all the details of what I was looking for that day, but I had a clear intention for that, for that day. And that clear intention was leading part of my intuition. And there was a part of my intuition that was looking to protect me. And, mm-hmm. and I really believe solidly now that that was the case, that I had conflicting messages within me that were both intuitive in nature. Um, and I didn't really um, have the skills at that time, the tools at that time to sit with what I was really being told and what would have you know, what was the best path for me? And I don't know that there is a best path. There was a path mm-hmm. and I took it 
And um, at this point, I, I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. It was painful. It was difficult. And there was a lot of beauty that rose out of it. You talked also about almost needing and wanting to launch on a spiritual path that had this horrific event not happened, you might not have sought out as fervently. And in this way, I think, you know, you you do a huge service to women who have experienced rape, men and women, um, who feel as though, you know, without being blamed, sort of walk into the the path of, walk into the shoes of, I do have responsibility for the choices that I made that doesn't lessen the experience. Um, and your, you know, your situation was that, you know, this, this man came up to you and basically punched you in the face to disable you um, and then proceeded to rape you. It was a horrific thing. I, you know, the pain of it, I think um, the way you describe it in the book, it just sounds, you know, harrowing. But because you sought witnesses, because you chose to speak, and because you achieved some resonance about it, I also think, Anne, you've done so much to step out of the shadows of shame, where, which prolongs trauma, Right, where, where people are mm-hmm. afraid to, for in even any kind of a setting, speak about it. And, you know, here, here are you, you know, uh, you, you did form, well, what was the first step in, in terms of witnesses? Your friend Dave came that day. Um, the, the absurd part was, of course, you were still back in the science knowing need control and you went to the movies, right? That, that was another <laughs> thing that happened that day. I mean, I, I d- thank you for chuckling. I did, at that point, I thought to myself, wow, this is what happens when you disassociate. Yeah, I was not present. I was not in my body that day um, or probably for several days after that. But I think that it, um, as far as witnesses, well, I think stepwise, I think the first step was for me to know within myself that this was absolutely wrong and I had no shame about it. I, I was ready to report to police and do what I needed to do to make sure that no one else in my community would be affected like this. Um, and I think that um, that may be more of an unusual path to take. I think there, there is sometimes um, hesitation about that. I mean, it can be a scary thing to mm-hmm. open up about that sort of trauma to complete strangers um, and to police personnel, for example. But I think that that was a really important step for me is to be able to say from the beginning, this is wrong. I need help. I called friends of mine to come meet me at the hospital, to come to my house afterwards. Um, and, and I was really from the beginning surrounded by people who saw me and Mm -hmm were there for me. Um, And that was a huge blessing because I know that that's not the case for everyone. And it can be very isolating to go through um, sexual violence like that and to feel like no one is there to have no one there. Um, And I've seen it in my volunteer years as um, an advocate. I have seen it time and again, that people end up at the hospital and they don't have someone there. And it's a blessing to have like a rape crisis center who will send someone to be an advocate for that person. 
Right. I mean, the process is also dehumanizing, right? The intake process and the rape kit. And then, of course, you had the visitation from the Bible person at the um, hospital who was going to absolve you of your sins, which is an outrage. Um, so there, there are parts of it where, you know, my hair is standing on end as I'm listening to your story. But I have to think also you had great survival skills in the sense of always wanting to reach out. And now you've reached out with a book, uh, the, you know, A Fierce Belief in Miracles, um, My Journey from Rape to Healing and Wholeness. Beyond all of your work, your, your spiritual work, and there we'll get into the dimensions of it, how has the book helped you process this experience? Well, you know, I had spent years processing this experience, and I really thought that I was done <laughs> with the processing part, with the healing part, and, and ready to write this book because I put it off for a number of years. I knew it was calling to me, and I resisted. And, um, and I got into it thinking, okay, I'm ready now. Um, I think that on an emotional level, I was wrong. <laughs> I... Um, uh, not wrong, but I just I I didn't realize how much I would be re-traumatized because mm-hmm. writing a book is um, can be challenging when you're dealing with a lot of emotions and ne- needing to dig beneath them and and be able to articulate what was really going on and um, it required a great deal of self-care and. Yes. Um, really being compassionate with myself and making sure that I met my needs first. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so. Because you re-entered a lot of those scenes. You you relived a lot of those scenes. And um, for those just joining us, this is an inspiring memoir, um, gripping and uplifting details of a story that sparked national interest at age 26. Anne Heck was brutally raped by a stranger while riding her bicycle. Years later, she stood in her living room and claimed her desire, her belief that this is my year of strength. 14 years after the crime, you were confronted with the perpetrator and you stood before him in court. We're going to take a short break in a couple of minutes, but I do want listeners to understand that this is tough stuff, uh, what you did, and the fact that, you know, I'd like you to just, you know, in, in this moment, just sort of say, is trauma stored in a cellular memory for you and for all of us, and how does that happen? Is it because we're energy at the subatomic level, as you say, or how does it happen? Well, that's what, I mean, every, everything is energy. And um, truly the, the traumas that we experience are, are definitely stored in our bodies. And that's really, um, that's a good place to start when you're dealing with something that's very upsetting is to just touch into your body to where you feel you're upset in your body and place your hands there and be with it. And, um, and that alone can be so effective in working with those things that are extremely uncomfortable for us. Absolutely. And for those of us that push away self-care because there's quote, no time for it. Um, this 
book, A Fierce Belief in Miracles, will wake you up and get you out of that slumber completely. It's something that recalled many um, incidences in my life and also provided the comfort for it as well. When we come back from the commercial break, we're going to be speaking with Anne Heck about body awareness and connection, how she came back from the darkness and stepped into the light. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Ann Heck, author of a new memoir called A Fierce Belief in Miracles. How, my journey from rape to healing and wholeness, sorry. And I'm looking at this book, I'm constantly thumbing through it. It's the handy guide to trauma is what I would say. Of course, it's a gripping story. Of course, it's a story that just wrenches our hearts. But at the end of the day, it's a really good guidebook to anything you might be trying to survive and thrive through. There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of information. Of course, Anne, with a scientific background in chemistry, you were a chemistry teacher. Um, you, you present this in a logical way. We have a logical progression through a number of steps that you took, and I'm going to keep it at the ready on my shelf. I honestly believe in this book. So, Anne, I, I wondered, um, we, we touched on uh, Rocking Bear, the indigenous uh, healer, and he performed a ceremony with you that I found so intriguing, and it was called Retrieving, Retrieving Your Soul, Retrieving Parts of You That Had Been Lost. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how that happened and how that was a remedy for trauma? Sure. So, um, the ceremony is typically called a soul retrieval, and it um, involves going to look and see if there are parts of your soul that have separated out from your being. And this can happen if you um, have a traumatic experience, just like we often will escape our body um, to to try to protect ourselves. There can be parts of our soul that split off that they just can't be present for that. Um, and in order to bring them back in, 
Um, it requires that we make agreements with those parts of ourselves so that they'll know that they're safe and protected to stay with us. And so I went and had this, did this ceremony with Rocking Bear, and um, and it was transformational, not in ways that I immediately knew, but in ways that I learned over time were very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I really um, likened it to there's a, there's a book called The Inner World of Trauma by Donald Kalshed. Uh, and it talks about splitting. It talks about how we go somewhere else and we're viewing what's happened almost as if from afar. Um, and those parts that become defended against because we can't let that happen again, they're banished, right? They're, they have to go away. And so through this ceremony, you you had a soul retrieval, which I just thought was a beautiful um, you know, metaphor for that reintegration that we have to do when we suffer from something which has caused us to split. So I also wondered, because we were talking before the break about the mind body or the soul body connection and storing trauma at a cellular level, you then progressed into what I thought was one of the most fascinating parts of the book, which was the creation of dolls, dolls that you created. Um, the clay, the pieces, the feathers, the beautiful objects that you incorporated. Did you feel that these were also creating or retrieving aspects of yourself? Oh, and absolutely. So? Yeah. Yes. So, um, so, you know, dolls have been used for many years to do healing work in different cultures. And when we make a doll and, you know, put our emotion outside of ourselves where we have this opportunity to hold the sacred part of ourselves more objectively so we can work with it in a way that perhaps it's not so accessible to us when we haven't done that. But the process itself of placing our emotions into a doll that represents that emotion, um, that process is so revealing. And the way that I, that I did the doll making was that I journaled during the making of the doll and after it was made so that I could gather its teachings. I could let it feed to me what I needed to most know to address these emotions, to, to work well with them, to balance things for myself. Right. And I took a look at your website, uh, anheck.com, and these dolls will make you shudder. This is a truth-telling, right? Because these dolls, it's not uh, beautiful in the conventional sense at all. You are investigating emotions that many, many of us would rather just keep tucked away. The uglier feelings of being completely vulnerable, of being scared, and, you know, this this. Uh, way of creating these dolls that are, some of them are eerily spooky. Um, and I wondered when you're speaking with them and they're, are they still informing you? Are they still with you? And, and how are they informing you at this point? Yes, I still have communications with them. And sometimes I, I don't keep them all out at once, but I will often get just hear a message, it's time to bring this out and sit with it. Um, and just giving 
my attention to it will often bring up some teachings for me. And when I want to be very intentional about communicating, communicating with a doll or getting, gathering some information that I feel I need, um, I will do journal, non-dominant dominant hand journaling where I write the questions with my dominant hand and I gather the answers with my non-dominant hand. And for me, that's a really effective way for communicating um, with that kind of subconscious part of myself. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of us just joining us, Anne Heck is a speaker, healer, and artist devoted to inspiring and guiding women to trust themselves, open to their intuitive guidance, and experience the magic of life through ceremony, positive intention, and a creative and curious spirit. And it's this creative and curious spirit that I think created these dolls, Anne. You, you didn't put barriers around yourself. You let yourself go where the doll wanted to go. If it wanted to be um, wounded, I mean, I, I really, there are certain ways where I think like this is such a great tool for, for those of us that have experienced trauma to go back in and try to create something that illustrates the emotions that we have that maybe we've long buried. Um, and you've brought them out in a, in a kind of fearless way. I think the other fascinating thing for me was, you know, in the fierce, be- a fierce belief in miracles, there's so much scientific corroboration to the phenomenon uh, that you experienced. I wondered if we could have, you know, a miracle exchange, you know, come out of this because people have experienced miracles. But what are some of the ways that you have kind of with neuroscience and, um, you know, other scientific ways kind of documented the t- telepathy that occurred and other things that, you know, phenomenon that you experienced. You've applied logic to all of it. Well, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to couch it in logic because for me and for many, that's so important, but truly for me, believing in miracles or having miracles happen, that's a belief in love. And, and when we, when we enter any of our experience with a belief in love, then we're able to stay open and curious instead of staying shut down and stuck. We can look for and find gifts when there are none readily apparent just because we have an open heart about it. So as much as I think science helps us validate things and make us feel really safe and secure in it, um, in actuality, I really think that miracles happen when we're in the place of love, when we stay in that place of love and focus on um, experiencing from our heart space. And when you meditate, for example, if you meditate or if you take a walk in nature, I mean, that feeling of love, it's at the core of us. Uh, that is a, that is a sensation, a palpable sensation when we're doing something that we love, that we're passionate about. That really resides in all of us. And I think the fact that you went from, you know, looking at what, what could have been, I mean, it was shattering enough, but what could have been an entirely shattering experience to seeking those points of love um, and finding it as a result, you faced the perpetrator of this rape in a courtroom 14 years after the, uh, the episode took place. How, 
you know, you've been asked this many times, you know, how was it for you? But how was it for you specifically? He turned to you and said, thank you for forgiving me. How was that resonance? And how was that transportive? That was really a transformational moment for me. Um, and, and I'm going to give a little bit of background on that because I had been, once I knew I was going to court, I, um, I wanted to be very present and I wanted all of myself there <laughs> to do that work of being in the courtroom and um, sharing a victim impact statement. And I knew that to be there and to be really in balance, I needed to be okay with seeing the perpetrator again. And I began this, I'd been taught a blessing. And so I began doing this blessing process when I sat in my morning meditation to bless him. His name was Terry. His name is Terry. Um, and to help him to know that, you know, I, that I, I'm, he's forgiven. And, and I think that as much as it may have helped him, it helped me as well. It was, it was both ways, but I didn't realize how it had affected him until in the courtroom, he said, thank you for forgiving me. And I had never said a word to him about my blessings. And he had gotten that deeper connection. And I think, you know, we all have this opportunity to connect with one another in this compassionate way to be forgiving and to try to understand that we're all in this together and we all have our wounded places um, and we have a choice in how to hold them. But that, to have that um, manifest before me and for him to feed back to me the words that I had used in my prayers uh, was very powerful. It's enormously powerful, and it's something that I just feel as though we should just take in right now, that experience of communication at a level that we really don't have words for, don't yet comprehend, but which is as real as day. It's just an enormous experience. And, you know, to put your blessings out there to him and to have him receive it without sort of judgment or yes, we're all in this together. And, you know, we, we screw up for different reasons, but, you know, we're, we're doing the best that we can humanly possible. Terry then um, told the judge that he believed that he should be put away because he was, um, and he was incarcerated at the time. He had committed another rape just in the hours prior to yours he told the judge, I should be put away. I have a disease. Do you, when you frame it in your mind's eye, do you feel as though a rapist has a disease? Oh, I don't know if I would put it in those words myself. Um, I think that he was, he had been wounded in his own way. And that was his you know, that was his acting out. You know, we act out in anger when we're in fear. And um, so that's the way I look at it, that either we're in love or we're in fear. And when we act out in ways that are angry or violent, that's our expression of the fear that's within us. 
that fear and love are the are the polarities. I mean, that people who are violent are acting out of fear. That is, I think, quite profound. And maybe it is a kind of a scapegoat to say it's a disease because then you don't have to look at the fear. Um, you know, I think about, wow, what the therapeutic value of the dolls would be in a place like a prison. You know, there's uh, mm-hmm. there's so much work, you know, to be done in all of us who are wounded. I want to let listeners know that coming out of this place of incredible, you know, a a moment of pivoting really in a soul level um, and heck in a fierce belief in miracles. And if you want to get out the hankies as I did, read the victim statement that Anne crafted for her appearance in court standing in front of this perpetrator. Um, It will, it will, root you in a place that, you know, you won't have been anchored to for a long, long time. It's, it, it, you go very deep. And, and in fact, when you were punched in the face, your front teeth were loosened and required root canal. I almost wondered, did you ever think about like that word root that you had to go back into yourself so far and to come out with these kind of golden nuggets that you put in this book? It's a mm. it's a real I hadn't metaphor, thought of that, Diane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great metaphor. Oh, the book is a fierce belief in miracles: my journey from rape to healing and wholeness. We're talking with Anne Heck, the author of this really beautiful, brilliant memoir. But it's more than a story. It's more than a story, and it's a reference guide to trauma. It's something you'll want to have with you as the days progress. Um, you found out that you were here to beat your own drum, Anne. And will you be doing more of that? Will you be speaking? Will you be writing another book? What's what's on your horizon? Well, that's a good question. Um, with the pandemic, I, w- I was hoping to go out and speak more in person, but with the pandemic, I will be um, mainly doing virtual events. Um, I do launch my book on the 22nd, and I'm having a virtual launch, which I'm super excited about. And um, I'm also drafting a work right now that I've that my working title is The Power in You, which will be filled with tools and activities and exercises that connect women and girls with their innate power of intuitive wisdom. Um, cool. I'm also working on a book of poetry that I'm putting finishing touches on, and I'm dreaming in a women's circle for spiritual empowerment. That's that's one of the things that I've been dreaming about. Um, so anyway, cool. stay tuned. <laughs> I will stay tuned. Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of wonderful poetry in the book as well. And it came from, you know, your different sides, your unconscious side as well. I love the alchemy that happens when women sit together. And when we come back from the break, we're going to delve into some of the ways in which Anne Heck brought herself back, not alone, but together with many. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. 
The aim is to serve riders who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Anne Heck, an amazing speaker, writer, healer, and author of A Fierce Belief in Miracles, My Journey from Rape to Healing and Wholeness. Such a miracle it really was, and a very studied one in the way you approached it, Anne. Each step of the way you researched, you had a healthy skepticism, and then when the time came to be listening rather than knowing with your scientific mind, you embraced, you made yourself open. I wonder if you think we're having a moment not just in, in, yes, absolutely in your life, but in all of our lives. You're married to a very enlightened sounding man. This certainly didn't happen from our previous generation who was stuffing emotions, not talking about them. Is this, is this a new way of reflecting in ourselves, sort of introspecting and extrospecting, a kind of new way of looking at the world, the spiritual dimension? Um, I would say yes. I feel like, um, especially with this pandemic and all that's happening in the world, that um, we're being thrown into a new way of being. And we really can't keep operating business as usual. It's important that we check in with ourselves and ask within how best to navigate certain situations um, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I think that it's, this is a difficult time for many people um, and things are getting scrambled. I'm very optimistic about it. I feel like the end point will be really beautiful. We've got to do our work. We're being, all of us are being called to do our work in the world. Um, but yes, I think it's time for us to get quiet to listen more intently and to move more from a heart space than a head space. Mm -hmm. You yourself became uh, a healer. uh, You you developed the healing touch, which moves energy around in the body. You've helped an an extraordinary number of, uh, of women who've experienced trauma. Did you feel called to do that work as well? Um, I did. I, well, I got into it in kind of a strange way that somebody suggested to me that, that I might make a good healer, which I found ridiculous at the time because I was still healing. And in my mind, how could you be a healer if you weren't healed? Um, and I see things differently now, um, but I took a leap and went down that path and became a healing touch practitioner. And um, once I was in it, I realized that I was really comfortable in it. Yeah, I, 
I got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was something that kind of put me in the flow. So, so yes, eventually I got to the place where I really felt called to it, but it, it was a leap at first. I just, you know, I admire the way you have integrated like the physical because you were always a cyclist. So there was a kind of mind-body connection, that infinite motion of cycling where you get, you know, you drop down into yourself, you get deeper breath, deeper breathing. And then the dolls, which were a physical manifestation and hand making something with your hand is hands is is something that, you know, creates a connection between the hemispheres, right? And then your alternate um, journaling with your left and right hand. I mean, all of it is fascinating. Then the healing touch. And now, I think, is a kind of culminating point where you're using your voice. You went to a drum circle and you ended up writing a book, I mean, a you wrote a book, yes, uh, A Fierce Belief in Miracles, but in, within the book um, is a poem, Beat Your Own Drum. You did not come here to be silent. You were called to beat your drum, your drum, your medicine. There is no other here at this time who brings you, who brings what you bring. This is so empowering. How will you use this in your um, circles and your work with women and your speaking? Uh, well, it's interesting that you ask that because I, I see the messages of my dolls and that specific poem, for example, is, um, is a message from one of the dolls, She Who Drums. I see those messages as not just for me. It was very powerful for me. I see them for everyone. We're all being called to beat our drum. We're all being asked to bring our medicine, our gifts to the world. I think we, we are all showing up at this time because the world, as it is, needs us and needs our specific gifts. Um, so as far as how I will use that, I think, you know, a, a big part of my work is in empowering women. And um, I, will, I will definitely bring those messages in as I work to guide other women to get in touch with their intuition and to get in touch with their gifts and to bring them into the world. Fabulous. I, I, I just also, you know, when I think about the way you've turned yourself inside out to help others, I mean, the dolls are a perfect example. When you go on anheck.com, which I would urge you to do, I think the book is coming out uh, September 22nd, but you can pre-order it wherever books are sold. And as well, um, Anne's website, the the dolls, it's so personal, and There are so many of us that would have taken a step back and said, I don't know if I have the nerve to show the world this. How is it for you to share so much of yourself with the world? Uh, you know, I feel as if this is the calling for me, that um, when we tell our stories, we're weaving our hearts together. And this is the story I have to tell. This is the one I get to share. And, um, and I feel as if I have been given so many gifts in my journey that I can't help but want to share them. Um, I just want to pay it forward because... Um, I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't be here without all of the angels who, who have shown up in my life and helped me along. And I'm hopeful that my book will help others, you know, give them hope, open their heart, help them to find the power within themselves 
to navigate whatever they are looking at in their lives. And you've called to the angels who have appeared. I mean, you've asked for help. And I think that that's a necessary step too when we break ourselves open as you've done. And, you know, Anne Heck, this is the Fierce Belief in Miracles is the book. You, there is a firewalk. <laughs> you walk across the burning coals in the very beginning. I think when you're starting to test your metaphysical muscle, right? You know, your belief in, in <laughs> the ability for minded over matter. And the whole book is a firewalk. It's, it's a whole walking over the coals to come out the other side and be supported by a welcoming earth, by welcoming spirits. And you talk a lot about, um, you know, the, for example, your, you, you underwent, uh, ultimately, you had a lot of physical manifestations in your hips and in your pelvis, but mostly your hips. You, it was debilitating after the rape. There was a lot of physical symptoms. And ultimately, you know, I know in yoga, the hips are where you process emotion and, um, you know, do, do different poses to open up your hips. But ultimately, you needed brand new hips to um, process. Are you processing differently now that you have new hips? This is something I was just dying to ask you. Am I processing differently? Like um, processing your yes. emotions. There's always yeah. been this ongoing theme for me of um, balance, masculine, feminine, left side, right side, that sort of thing that, you know, it was always my left side that was the, was the hardest one for me to trust, which is I associate with our feminine self. And, um, and I had that hip replaced first and I knew immediately I had to have the other one replaced. Um, and so in 2014, I had both of my hips replaced and, uh, it has, um, it's really made me feel more solid within myself, obviously, on a physical level, but also on an emotional, spiritual level that um, I just, I have the ability to trust myself more, specifically that left side, which was where I was having doubts over those years, you know, trusting my feminine, trusting that intuitive sense. Um, so there's, there's been... Um, there's been a, a, this ongoing theme. And interestingly, I had a bike accident in June and I shattered oh, no. my, my right femur, which was uh, very, I was so curious about it. <laughs> I'm still healing. I'm almost off crutches. Um, Good. But, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to see how that theme has played out and what happens when I just can trust my left side. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been a really beautiful journey. <laughs> Incredible. And I love that you put the, the positive spin on it as though each experience is a learning curve, which is exactly what it is, right, Anne? And you're yeah. bicycling. Um, you were bicycling again. And will you be bicycling again in the near future, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I've already on my trainer and I have an epic journey planned for next summer. <laughs> awesome. An epic journey. Yeah. We're going to be following. So this is the, um, the book is A Fierce Belief in Miracles. The author is Anne Heck. You can find her on Facebook at Anne Heck and Instagram, Twitter as well. Um, you keep it simple. It's all under Anne Heck. It's my journey from rape to healing and wholeness. I wondered, Anne, um, when the few minutes that we have, we're going to be following you don't worry um, but how would you when you are preparing for example to speak in a conversation like this 
Do you dedicate it? Do you um, bring blessings in? And how do you um, prepare yourself to speak to beat your drum? Hmm, that's a good question. Yes, I lit a candle before I called you. Um, I said blessings for myself and blessings for you and for the listeners. And um, that's how I ground myself and become present to this moment. And I do that in any situation where I'm going to, you know, where I have something ahead of me, whether it's an interview or a talk with a client or um, a talk with a group of people. I want to create ceremony around it. All life is a ceremony, but it makes it extra special to um, bringing in those grounding energies and calling in the spirits who want to be here for this. It's important to me and I think important to everyone. It's enormously generous and I appreciate it. We appreciate it very much. I got little signals before we met on the air. Uh, Asheville came up. Um, Diane Sawyer came up in conversation the other day. People that we aren't frequently talking about. And I wondered if your energies had reached me before I even opened your book um, and had the absolutely delicious experience of reading it and going along with you in this experience. I, I feel, you know, and we have a moment left, and I'm just going to say thank you very much, Anne Hecht, for opening yourself up and sharing yourself yet again in, to the benefit of us all, hoping that we will show up and to bring ourselves on. Thank you. And thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, and our producer, Robert Cialino. Most of all, thanks to our listeners. Stay safe. Remember those we've lost today. And always listen to yourself. Thanks for dropping in. And thanks, Anne Heck. Do you want to say goodbye to our listeners? Yes, thanks for listening. And thanks, Diane. It was lovely. It was a wonderful experience to be continued when Anne Heck reaches out again and in the most beautiful way, beats her drum. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.